He's a career United States Navy chief petty officer. After retiring from the Navy, he became a police officer. He worked in EOD, was attached to special forces, experienced extreme trauma. He's here to talk about that and much more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Imagine if you were one of the first on social media or on social audio apps. Here's your chance to be one of the first on the free breakout app that combines the best of social audio and social media. Get it at letbreak.com. There's a free version for your iPhone and Android devices. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley of the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at LET Radio Show. Get it for free at letbreak.com or at the App Store and Google Play. Contact us from the Treasure Coast of Florida. We have Christopher Rudiger on the phone. We're going to call him Chris from here on out. Chris is a retired U.S. Navy Chief Petty Officer, I believe. And then he went into police work. After doing a full career in the Navy, he went, I believe, was in his 40s when he went to the Academy. And he saw lots of combat as an EOD, which I'll let him explain, and potential traumatic brain injury and other things. Chris, first of all, thanks so much for your service, and thanks for being a guest on Law Enforcement Today's show. Very much appreciated. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jay. It's great to be here. It's it's good to have you. And you, you did entire career in the Navy, which in and of itself is is no small task. Uh, my dad's retired career. He passed many years ago. He retired, I think, with 28 years on, retired as a chief petty officer. And so our whole family grew up in the Navy environment, grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, most of my life. And the Navy's near and dear to my heart. I say this all the time. You're, you're a bit younger than me. I went to the, the grade school with kids whose fathers were POWs or MIA in Vietnam. They're naval aviators. Wow. And they went for years not knowing what happened to their dad. So to this day, that's that's something that's very near and dear to my heart. And the Navy has been part of our family since they came over from Ireland. Wow. Well, yes, sir. That's uh, That's similar to my own family history. And thank you for your uh, family service and your service. Uh, I come from a family that has uh, about 90 years of uh, service, not including my current police service. So with that, I guess that puts us over uh, 100 years in uniform, just about. So how old were you in the Navy? Uh, 17, and I turned 18 in boot camp. So you were a youngster. You were right out of high school. You are one of those guys. Yes, sir. College was not for me. I knew that. Uh, I figured maybe I'll mature a little bit, go into the family business, get some money for college. And uh, as so many times is a story, I got started and stayed there, was intrigued and began finding my roots as a sheepdog, as I refer to myself. Right, right. I, I, here's, here's a point of contention I have. I'm a big dog person. I'm retired police. <laughs> and I, I love the whole sheepdog thing. I really do. But sheepdogs are bred to perform a service. You and I chose to do this. That's the difference. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. And, and that's a great distinction to make really, because that's part, uh, that's part of, of the, I guess the intent in calling it a sheepdog is that, you know, for us, it's volunteer. It's part of our DNA. It's right. who we are. Right. Um, and, and makes up our, makes up our DNA. Is it fair to say that you grew up in the Navy? Because at 17, trust me, I was a totally different guy than I am now. Yes, all of my family's military service has been uh, Navy, with the exception of one uncle who was in the Army. Always have to have the black sheep. <laughs> and uh, But yes, um, mom, dad, brother, uh, grandfather, uncles, all, all na- Naval service. My wife and I, we spent, my family, we spent quite a bit of time in Norfolk, although we travel around to other areas, including overseas. But um, yes, military service uh, through and through. Here's a question, the $64,000 question. People ask me where I'm from, and I go, uh, I'm a queer Navy brat. I'm from all over. I was born in New Jersey. I lived in Rota, Spain. I lived in Tennessee. Right. And uh, we, we're, we spent most of our life in North Virginia. And then went to Southern Maryland when he retired from the Navy. Where do you hail from? Uh, originally from Long Island, New York. And you still have a little bit of that and, accent, uh, you don't you? Yes, yes. You can't take the New Yorker out of me. So you were there till <laughs> you were at least 17? Yes. Uh, about two weeks after I graduated high school, I left for boot camp in San Diego. And like you, I can name a... a, a a dozen or more great places that I've lived uh, myself, including my family. But uh, home is New York. Big question for you. And after your career in the Navy, which we'll talk about, because it's long and it's extensive and there's a lot of noteworthy things in there. You decided you wanted to go into a career in law enforcement in Florida. How old were you when you <laughs> made that transition? Uh, actually, 45. You went in the academy and- at 45. Yes, sir. <laughs> and did they call and, you Grandpa? Did you get nicknames? They, they actually called me Pops. Uh, I was the class leader. And uh, the Pops moniker came quickly. But uh, after the first PT session, they still used it, but with a little bit of a different tone. Yeah, I hear you. We had a lot of <laughs> we had a lot of veterans in the Baltimore Police Department, and, and most of them did three or four years. And they came into police work in their twenties, and they were great right. cops. I, I say I was very lucky, Chris. I was trained by combat Vietnam veterans. That's where a lot of our police were. We also had a few commanders, command staff, captain and above that were Korean War veterans at the time. Not many, right? Uh, but they right. brought. They brought a sense to to law enforcement and policing that I don't think you can really get too much anymore. Yes, it's a a rare thing these days. And um, my my experience and perspective was uh, much like that. Uh, After being 26 years in the Navy, I retired as a senior chief. And so my position in the Navy was very different. I kind of started over and, uh, you know, became a rookie cop, so to speak. And my interest was not in climbing the corporate ladder of a police department. It was in being a road patrol cop. And uh, so lots of experience, uh, tactical and otherwise leadership to pass on to other folks. And that was very valuable. Uh, But for me, it was just a matter of trying to stay in uniform. I, I just I spent a year out of the military, out of the Navy. And I couldn't stand it. How to get back in uniform? I I, try, I I believe that. We'll talk about that in a moment. I got a quick question for you. 
Is it fair to say that in the United States Navy, it's the chief petty officers, especially the senior officers that run the Navy? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, Good officers will tell you it's it's the chief that runs the shop. Right. So you went from being the chief, telling people what to do, how to do it, when to do it, all that other stuff, to being the stone cold rookie road cop. And those are the ones that get the lousy details. They get every bad job, and you're expected to keep your mouth shut. Is that fair? Yes, that is very fair. Night shift. Yeah, we had night shifts, weekends. uh, And when I was single, you're you're a married guy. When I was single, we had a routine that the married guys with families would get Christmas. Even if we had off, we'd we'd switch with them. We would get New Year's Eve. (laughs) And no one got a choice when it came to Thanksgiving. That's right. That's right. Well, it was very different for me because as a rookie, I got the same treatment. I was expected to work Thanksgiving, Christmas. But when they came to me apologizing and said, uh, Chris, I'm sorry, but you have to work Christmas. I said, well, listen, uh, at the end of my shift, am I still going to be in the same country as my wife? And they said, yes, of course. And you're going to get paid overtime. So for me, I was like, okay, great. Where do (laughs) I sign up for this? Yeah, exactly. We're good exactly. talking with Christopher Rudiger, goes by Chris, a retired Navy Chief Petty Officer, EOD, possibly dealing with traumatic brain injury, which we'll talk about when we return. After retiring from the Navy, he went into police work. We're going to talk about that as well. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. When you get there, click like and follow. Has click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return conversation on the Law Enforcement Today show with Christopher Rudiger. He's retired Navy Chief Petty Officer, worked in EOD. That's like explosives. I've been around Navy my whole life. I still don't know all the terminology. He's also a police officer, and he is a podcaster. The name of the show that he and his wife do called Sheepdog Marriage. Look for it. Christopher, we're talking about you leaving home at 17, going into the Navy. I believe you said you went to San Diego for basic, correct? Yes, that's correct. So what year was that? Uh, 1987. All right. So you, you got into the Navy when it started the big transition from the Zumwalt's Navy back to the Navy we know today. Correct. Lots of transition in my uh, in my career. Did you, at 17, did you think you, I remember being 17, vaguely, as a long time ago, thinking <laughs> yes. I knew everything, you couldn't tell me anything. So when you got off that bus into basic training... Were you mm-hmm. in for a rude awakening about your attitude, or did you have a heads up of what to expect? Oh, yes, absolutely. I figured I owned the world. I knew what I was doing. You guys are just here to put me in a uniform and shine me up a little bit. 
And uh, yes, I got a very rude awakening. I, I was actually assigned to be the uh, company master at arms, and I was the youngest guy in the group. And uh, on night one in boot camp, I think I called out to my mom and, and shed some tears, if I'm being honest. Are you a little homesick at first? Oh, it was a crazy day. Uh, I got introduced to the other folks in my company. Another guy was tripping out on drugs he'd done earlier in the day. And uh, guess what? You are the company master at arms, so go take charge. You got to deal with it at 17. (laughs) You got to deal with it at 17. And, you know, that's where your, it's fair to say, your first brush with policing took place at 17? Yes, absolutely. And, And a complete shock to me. Not at all what I had intended. So when you graduated from boot camp and you went through specialty schools, your first assignment was on a nuclear-powered fast-attack submarine, and you had the glorious task of being a what? <laughs> a cook. Uh, they, ca- they called it mess management specialist at the time, but uh, yes, the simple term is a cook on a submarine. So I can and hear that you came now. by virtue. Daddy, yeah. <laughs> what did I do? What did you do in the war? I was a cook on a submarine. That's right. That's right. They, uh, and the submarine part came in that when I graduated MSA school, I had a choice of orders. And the guy in front of me did not take the only set of orders to Hawaii. So, of course, I jumped on that. The caveat to that was it was in submarines. And yeah. so I said, all right, let's go. I want to go to Hawaii. So There you go. Well, uh, you know, I have a nephew who's uh, uh, on a submarine and based out of Washington State somewhere. I can't remember where. But he, when he's gone, he's gone for a long time. The submarine yeah. cats, they're a different breed. You, you've got to <laughs> develop a skill set, uh, personality-wise, where you don't mind being confined for long periods of time. That's right. That's right. It was a great career, and uh, and the career just kept getting better after I transitioned into EOD. That's what I was going to ask you next, Christopher, because that's not like a, a jump that people go, hey, you go from being a, what do you call it, a mess <laughs> specialist management to EOD, which is explosives, right? Right, right. Uh, EOD stands for Explosive Ordnance Disposal, and uh, I was I was young and uh, full of uh, full of you know what? you know what they call yeah. it, and vinegar, <laughs> you know what, and vinegar, and uh, ready to tackle the world and wanted to challenge myself. And I actually applied uh, to go to Bud's uh, basic training to become a SEAL. And that didn't work out through a bunch of different things. And uh, so next was EOD. I heard about it from a buddy while I was in dive school. And uh, he told me that uh, they'll pay you to jump out of airplanes, blow stuff up, and shoot guns. And I said, sign me up. So uh, so I did. And uh, from I left Hawaii, Pearl Harbor, and went to um, – Went to Panama City, Florida after being accepted into EOD school. And as they say, the rest is history. And there you got deployed multiple times uh, with the Navy and also Army, correct? Correct. I spent uh, I spent a total of 23 of my 26 years, 26-year uh, career in EOD. And during that time, I deployed all over the place and multiple times uh, deployed in support of Army and Navy Special Forces. Here's, I'm looking at my notes, Chris, and it's pretty detailed. Uh, It says you did nine deployments, including combat tours in Somalia, Bosnia, and Iraq. None of those were a walk in the park. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, That is a very fair assessment. Yes, sir. I've had guys on, I say guys, that that, that usually means men and women. In this case, it's all men. They were all part of what we now call Black Hawk Down, the Battle of Mogadishu. Correct. And these cats... 
I have the utmost respect for them because they they went out to do this this quick mission. It wasn't supposed to be a big deal, and they were in fights for their lives for what a couple days. Yes, yes. We uh, so I was on a ship uh, deployed, and the moment that occurred, uh, my ship was recalled or to. Uh, go off the coast of Somalia. And as soon as we arrived there, my team, uh, as well as a bunch of Marines, were flown into Mogadishu. And we were there for within 48 hours after the initial uh, uh, Black Hawk was shot down. And so we were a part of that. And yes, that was a very, that was my first uh, combat experience. Very different from when I, uh, when my career uh, ended, that combat experience. And that whole scenario uh, was a basis for training for the remainder of my career. They still, to this day, talk and train in reference to that that combat experience. What's the one thing about combat like that, from your perspective, that most Americans don't seem to get? Yeah, because we, we were force-fed this die that Hollywood puts out there and the news media puts out right. there. And you and I both know that's not the truth. Right. We hadn't been at that point. Uh, we hadn't been really in heavy combat uh, in quite some time. And so for my generation, that was a new experience. It was the first introduction, really, of IEDs as a uh, as a war fighting tactic. And um, casualties were heavy. Uh, the environment was rough. And uh, again, since Vietnam, we hadn't really experienced something like that. And so it was a it was a huge change in uh, mentality, tactics, operations uh, for all of us in that generation. Is it fair to say, Christopher, that you, was there a point in your Navy career where you say there was life before and life after that could be Somalia, could be some other deployment, some other combat mission where you like I my oh. my entire outlook changed. Sure. If you talk to anybody that's been in combat, they'll likely tell you that uh, they came out of it with a different perspective on things. Life in general, priorities, um, family, all of these things. Uh, your certainly your patriotism, your view of the nation that you fought for, uh, the ones that you left behind that didn't come home, all of that impacts you and, and stays with you for quite some time. One of the things that I can only imagine, because I'm not a military veteran, and I've been in plenty of gunfights and life and death battles as a police officer, and I tell people, until you've been through that, you wouldn't understand, and that includes other police, and I'm not saying to be negative, I'm just saying they don't have a point of comparison to that. Uh, this is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're talking with Christopher Rudiger. He is retired United States Navy, then went into police work. And when we return, we're going to talk about his experience with the Law Enforcement Today Show and an incident he went through in combat and what he's doing about it today. Then we'll talk about police work and his podcast as well. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts. 
including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. Conversation with Christopher Rudiger on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Chris is an interesting story. He's a retired U.S. Navy career chief petty officer, worked in EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal. Then he went into a career in police work, which he's doing now. He's also a podcaster. He and his wife do a podcast called The Sheepdog Marriage. And we'll return to our conversation before we went to break. We started talking about your career in the Navy, and there's an incident in your career where you were, I, I can't say it another way, you were blown up. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, in August of 2017, I was part of an operation, and uh, my vehicle, a Humvee, was struck by what we call a EFP, Explosively Formed Projectile. It's an IED that's designed to penetrate armor. And, uh, that definitely changed my perspective on things and was a significant event, uh, in my life. I'm fortunate to say my life. Where were you when this occurred? Uh, we were in operating in Sadr city in Iraq. Gotcha. So Iraq just ended not that long ago. And there, there are lots of people that walk around. I say walk. Uh, some in wheelchairs, some have prosthetic limbs. That we had a guy in the show, right. Ryan Hendrickson, by the way, uh, Green Beret EOD, stepped on a landmine, almost lost his leg. They right. they reattached it, and he wound up getting special clearance to go back to full duty, and did like nine right. more tours, which is crazy. <laughs> I, I don't think that people really understand. Again, I can go by what Hollywood shows me, and I've seen videos. Uh, the last, most recent thing I think of a movie was about the Battle of Camp Keating, and in uh, Afghanistan. And there are scenes where there are explosions, and they have this bell ringing or this ringing in the ears, where the guy is coming right. back too. Is that realistic? Uh, it is actually, um, you know, the, the length that, that, uh, that last, uh, depends on a whole lot of different variables, but yes, absolutely. And someone, uh, my, my lovely wife who's, uh, listening just said to me, Hey dummy, uh, it was actually 2007, not 2017. Thank God for wives. <laughs> Keep us straight. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's probably where this conversation is leading is how much help I need. But, um, Yes, absolutely. That's true. And, uh, you know, the thing is that when you're in a combat situation like that, you don't have a whole lot of time to, to sit around and kind of, you know, shake it off. Uh, you got to get right back in the fight. Uh, your life depends on it, literally. And, uh, yes, that is a true phenomenon. Um, everything slows down, and um, which is, uh, I guess, a good and a bad thing. Uh, I'm finding that out now later in my life. And, um, yes, that is very true. Tunnel vision's an issue when that occurs? Yeah, uh, things things slow down. And, of course, from your perspective, uh, things are slowing down and you're, you're trying desperately to get catch kind of back up. And the firefight is still going on around you, right? And so your, your um, combat buddies are relying on you to get back in the fight. You're relying on you to get back in the fight. Because the longer that you're in the battle, kind of unaware and unsituated, uh, things just get worse, right? So 
um, it's very much a, a struggle to, uh, to to slow down, get your senses about you, but then immediately emerge out of that right back in the fight. When this explosion occurred, obviously you weren't expecting it, and it was a total surprise, but you didn't suffer severe physical injuries, correct? Correct. Uh, so in our Humvee, there was a false wall, uh, and so we were traveling uh, – Armored up Humvees, very heavy, so we're traveling as fast as they will go at night, driving on night vision goggles. So the the IED, the EFB, actually wound up going through the backside of our vehicle. But because there's a gap between the false wall uh, and the passenger compartment, the blast pressure actually went into the compartment, smoke went into the compartment. And so we, we felt the effect, the overpressure, the smoke, but we did not have any physical injuries, thank God. I want to jump back real quick. Something you said earlier, because you made mention your wife was correcting you that what year this occurred. Were you <laughs> a married guy at that time? Uh, yes, married with two sons. Did you get the thought? Because I remember Christopher thinking, and this doesn't make, I can say it more in depth now, but the time being in a fight and a gun battle thinking, I got to make it home to my wife and kids. Right. Did you have that thought right. come to your mind? This is this is happening. I'd get back and fight. I'd be defend myself, and I'm not going to die today. Well, this is, and that's one of the differences between being in the military and being in law enforcement. In law enforcement, you know, uh, you routinely have uh, difficult situations like that, but they're kind of moments in time. Whereas I was deployed for six months in the combat zone. And, you know, when you're there 24-7 for six months, you have those thoughts on a regular basis, but you have them often enough that when you're in a moment, you're, you're just totally focused on winning the, winning the firefight, so to speak, in that moment. But very shortly afterwards, you know, of course, your mind, your mind goes in that direction. And you, you think about how happy you are to have the opportunity to come home. And, you know, there's a whole slew of uh, feelings and emotions that go with that. Right after the explosion, what did you do? Did you seek help, or you're like, I'm okay, I'm going back to work? Well, well, uh, essentially, I said, yep, I'm good, thank God, you know, uh, I'm going back to work. And less than 24 hours later, uh, I was back in, the, in a new vehicle, and uh, we were back at it. And so that's one of those things that I'm dealing with today, as I... Um, look towards the end of my, I've been in uniform for almost 34 years now. And so as I'm uh, getting older, thinking about getting out of uniform and seeing signs of what might be from that, uh, listening to shows like yours, listening to other people, I start to realize, hey, I might have more effects from this than I realize. but I've been going so fast for so long, you don't slow down enough to realize it. Yeah. Is there, was there one certain thing or a couple things that made you think, Hey, maybe this is kind of familiar territory and I need to get a second opinion. I need to see medical attention. Yeah. I listening to other people talk about listening to interviews, listening to people say, Hey, you know, I'm experiencing this, I'm experiencing that. And, uh, looking at myself, especially having my wife say, Hey, you know, you do that. Do you realize? And so many times we don't realize we're doing that. We don't realize that we have these effects unless someone outside tells us. And so by virtue of my wife and I kind of looking at, looking back and slowing down and looking back at these things together, I'm realizing that, wow, I think I do have more effects than I realize. 
And I owe it to my family and to myself to, to look into that and understand it further and really know what, how I'm affected. Big applause to you, your family. Uh, I'll say this, to be blunt. Big applause to your wife. Uh, I call my wife the boss for yes. being persistent and making sure you say, hey, let's have an open mind. Let's go talk to someone. If worst case scenario, you're just you. Uh, best case scenario, there's something that they can do to help you and have a better quality of life. A lot of people just, just suffer in silence and they don't seek any attention. Right, right. Well, the the I think what keeps some people from doing that. And again, thank you for uh, thank you for honoring my wife. She deserves it. We've been married 31 years. She is my angel. She's been amazing. Um, but yes, what keeps a lot of people from looking at those things is the discomfort and the emotion that comes with going back to those moments, going back to kind of rehashing those things and realizing, hey, these are more significant than I realized initially. We are talking and with Christopher so Rudiger on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Christopher is a retired Navy Chief Petty Officer. And then he went into police work, and he's also a podcast. His name is podcast is called Sheep Dog Marriage. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. When we return, we're going to talk about his transition to law enforcement and the unique challenges that this put on his relationship and his marriage. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Christopher Rudiger on the Law Enforcement Today show. He's a retired Navy Chief Petty Officer, worked in explosive ordnance demolition. He went into police work after his Navy career, which he still does today. And he and his wife have a podcast called Sheep Dog Marriage. Christopher, I'm amazed that after full career in the Navy, you decided that you want to go into police work. And I had one guest on. He did a full career in the Air Force and then went into Atlanta Police Department. He said it was the hardest thing for him was the books. (laughs) The physical part was one thing. You know, we get better at that. But the books and the learning was nonstop. What possessed you to decide I want to become a cop? Well, I retired. Uh, I retired 26 years in the Navy, and uh, I spent one year in the civilian sector and decided I did not like that. Uh, myself in corporate America don't see eye to eye, and I just had to get back into uniform. And uh, my wife, who is uh, awesome, she and I had been watching the show Cops for 20 years. And uh, we were living in Virginia at the time. And she said to me one evening, wouldn't it be great to my family's here in Florida? And she said, wouldn't it be great to be a cop in Florida? I said, yeah, sure. And about three weeks later, I come home and she has made all the arrangements for me to go to the police academy (laughs) in Florida. I kid you not. Were you serious? I said, yeah, sure. I was like, yeah, I'm done talking. I'm going to watch the show. Don't talk to me. I literally, that's pretty much it. I was, you know, sitting on the couch, enjoying the show, getting ready to go back to work the next day. Said, yeah, sure. And so, uh, as they say, the rest is history. Here I am today. And 
And that's the beauty of, of having a great marriage. I think she knows me better than I know myself. And uh, I could not be happier. Really, I couldn't. When you say the beauty of a great marriage, and I'm going to be perfectly blunt, my first marriage ended in divorce. And I got married as a police officer. Police, Yeah, I got promoted sergeant shortly after I got married. And it was due to my inabilities to handle the, the, the trauma-related issues better. Sure, she has yeah. her side of the street, but that's that's the part I knew something about. And that's not what I wanted to have happen, but it turns out it's probably the best thing for her and for me. I have a beautiful wife now, a very supportive relationship. But there's definite challenges, my dad being career Navy, and then the, the police work aspect of it. There's definite challenges in relationships. Did you all go through that? We, we did. And so my wife and I are very open and honest in our podcast. And we tell everybody that about three years ago, we almost became a statistic. And that was it. Uh, it was the it was so much trauma and things going on uh, in that were never addressed because we never slowed down. Things going on in me, I didn't realize were going on in me. Uh, living into my sheepdog mentality, sheepdog the personality, and that personality and that commitment to help others affects your marriage. And not necessarily in a bad way, but if you don't recognize it, if you don't uh, treat that, then it, it, it can and it does. And I think that's why divorce is so prevalent in uniformed services, whether it's military, law enforcement, first responders. It's a tough thing. It really is. For me, a part of it was I eventually, and this is a the Reader's Digest abridged version, I eventually just shut down. I came home. And I thought I was really good at transitioning from Cop J to Dad J and Father J. And my psychological thing was when I took the vest off, the Velcro, okay, I'm making the mental shift. And that worked for a while until it didn't anymore. And then I just became the guy who sat on a chair and was non-communicative. Right. Uh, there's a book called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. And in that book, the author talks about the magic chair. And uh, you come home, uh, you, like you said, you strip down out of uniform, you sit in the magic chair, and then you just shut down because you've been on an adrenaline high for 12, eight hours. And now all of a sudden your mind is just going into a box, right? And that's great for you, but where does that leave your family? Where does that leave your spouse, your children? And these are the things that, um, you know, in retrospect, we kind of learned the hard way and are discovering now and we want to share it with others. Well, we, my, my ex-wife would call them mini vacations, and that was her way of, of laughing it off, but it was not fun at the time. And there's right. a lot more that went with it, Christopher. There was uh, drinking until I could get oh, knocked out to go to sleep and all that stuff. That played a big role, part of the too. And my, and my daughters, they pay the price a result of my career. My right. current wife pays a price um, because, you know, right. I got scars, physical and mental. Yes. You have them too. I, I can, I, I can only guess. I, I, I do, and it's only now that I'm. We are starting to slow down. That I'm really starting to realize the extent of that, and uh, take a uh, take a progressive stance on addressing it. Is that why you started your podcast? Was there an yes. aha moment where you two said, look, we're going to save our marriage. We're going to work on it. We're going to work on these issues. And then, by the way, we're going to have a podcast. We're going to tell people all about it. <laughs> yes, it wasn't quite that simple. But, yes, essentially, that was it. About three years ago, again, we almost divorced. 
And our biggest struggle was finding a resource that would understand our view of things, or would understand a combat veteran, would understand a law enforcement lifestyle, and would be able to uh, would be able to address those things in a way that made us comfortable and also strengthened our marriage. And it was a blessing for us. And we want to share that with others. And that's that's exactly so. When we came out of it. Uh, we just started realizing that, listen, we need to share this with others, uh, pay it forward. Right. And that's really where the sheepdog podcast came from is simply that I can see I'm, I'm having a picture in my mind of things getting really bad in your relationship. And that's not what any of us wants. And part, right. part of me inside was screaming, Hey, let's just stop this. Let's we're on the same team, all that stuff. But then going right. to marriage counseling and that just being <laughs> one disaster after another, did, right. How did you guys get from, okay, we're, we're splitting up to where you're at today? Right. Uh, well, we actually spent many years off and on in marriage counseling. And, and we, don't, we don't talk bad about counseling. We support that 110%. But coaching and counseling are two different things. And what we found was coaching. And coaching is talking on a – coaching tends to be, for us – tends to be more purpose-focused rather than problem-focused. And counseling was problem-focused. We would talk about the problem, we would resolve it for the moment, and a week later we'd be right back at it. So with coaching, our coaching, we're purpose-focused. We help couples to find purpose in their life, to find a vision, to address their future. And we also give them tools to communicate because we all want that. The problem is do we have the tools to do it. Do we know how to communicate with each other? Do we know how to address those things that are going on inside of us that we don't, we don't realize? And so by slowing down, changing your focus to being purpose-focused and having a vision for the future and bringing God into it, because God's plan is much better than ours, yeah. right? That's, that's the formula for turning things around, and that's what worked for us. By the way, we're going to have, I believe her wife's name is Tina, on the show to get yeah. her perspective in the future because that's a, that's a segment of the population we never get to hear from and, and the challenges we never hear from. So I want to transition right. and talk about your podcast and online presence. Where can people find the podcast? What's it called? We belong to marriedforapurpose.com, but our podcast is available where most podcasts are, and it is called uh, Sheepdog Marriage. We interview folks. We talk about our own marriage. Not uh, It's not the Chris and Tina show, but we share our experiences so that others can learn from, from them. Don't have to reinvent the wheel. And is there a uh, website we also, where people get we, more information? Uh, yes. Well, we work with an organization called Married for a Purpose and uh, marriedforapurpose.com. And there is a military first responder uh, subsection there, which is us. And you can get information on marriage coaching there and as well listen to our podcast. And are you two on social media or is that under the Married with a Purpose brand as well? That, that's under the marriedforapurpose.com, correct. By the way, that's an admirable mission and it's one of the toughest jobs I've ever had to do. And for me, I jokingly say this on the radio, I refer to my wife Stephanie as the boss because it's a whole <laughs> lot easier for me. If I just relax, because I've learned that, that, that everything's not a fight worth fighting. And I don't have to 
Correct. I don't have to attend every fist fight I'm invited to, even those with my wife, the boss. Chris, Correct. I want to thank you for your service. Man, it's very much appreciated, and thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Again, I appreciate it very much. Absolutely, and thank you so much for the opportunity. We uh, we appreciate you and all that you do. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Thank you.